the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Lord knows you far better than you know yourself. He knows all about us. Therefore, he's able to address every issue of our lives in a perfect fashion. But in addition to knowing everything about us, Christ is a wonderful counselor because he has perfect wisdom in solving all the problems that we face. As God, he has all wisdom. That's what Paul said in Colossians 2.3. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as man, he understands all of your problems and heartaches because he's personally experienced these same kinds of problems during his earthly ministry. That was Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel introducing our study for today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve is bringing the middle part of a Christmas message entitled, He Shall Be Called. The topic under consideration is one of the names given to the promised Messiah in the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, Wonderful Counselor. We on the staff of Verse by Verse want to wish you and your family a very blessed and Merry Christmas Day. At the end of the program, I will tell you how you can listen again to this study and get a CD of the entire three-part message. Now, here is Pastor Steve with today's study. Now, why is Jesus such a unique and wonderful counselor, different from all other counselors? Because his counsel, note this, is always right, never wrong, always right, always perfect, always on target. His wisdom is impeccable. See, unlike other counselors, Christ knows everything about everything. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows us intimately. He he sees our hearts. He sees our motives. Nobody else sees that, why we do what we do. But he does. He knows your thoughts. He knows what you're thinking right now. He knows what you'll be thinking in a few minutes. He knows your true and your often secret desires. He knows all your real needs as opposed to your felt needs, what you think you need. There's no better passage of Scripture that tells us of Christ's knowledge of us than Psalm 139. Listen to what David said. He said, O Lord, you have searched me and known me, meaning he knows all about us. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. God knows when you're going to bed tonight. He knows what time you're going to get up. He knows when you're going to sit in the day, when you're going to get up. You understand my thoughts from afar. God understands everything that we're thinking at every moment. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, Lord, you know it all. You know what I'm about to say, even before I know what I'm going to say. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, he says, it's too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Later, he'll say that you formed me in my mother's womb. You have ordained when I'd be born, when I would die. Oh, and God knows everything about it. See, 
One major reason why Jesus is such a wonderful counselor, different from all other counselors, is that he alone knows us better than anyone. Because he, he alone knows our hearts. Nobody knows our hearts. Nobody except him. He alone knows and understands what's really going on inside of us, what we're like, what drives us. As I said, what, what motivates us? Let me show you something very interesting. If you keep your place in Isaiah 9 and go to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, we read something fascinating. Jesus is in Jerusalem. He started his ministry a little bit earlier. He comes up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And we read something interesting. Chapter 2, verse 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs, which he was doing. So keep this in mind. Let's don't turn from there. But he's in Jerusalem. People are seeing his signs. They're getting attracted to him. You might think, oh, good. He's getting committed followers. These are his people. They're following him, but not so. Look at verse 24. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men. He knew that they were only attracted to him for the sensational, only the signs. They were impressed with that. That's all. And because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. He understood about their shallowness. He understood that they were just looking at him as a miracle worker. And that's all. That's it. Now notice, we're not finished. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you have come from God as a a teacher. Now, he, he meant well, but he was wrong. Jesus wasn't a teacher who had come from God. He was God who came to teach. But okay, he was trying to be complimentary. Rabbi, we know that you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So he's just kind of laying it on thick here, giving Jesus a compliment. And then all of a sudden, Jesus breaks in in verse 3 and says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, where did this come from? Why did Jesus start speaking about being born again? Nicodemus didn't bring it up. He's giving Christ compliments. We see your signs. We're impressed. We know that you are a teacher who's come from God. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Why did he say that? Because Jesus knew what was on Nicodemus's heart. Nicodemus was a religious teacher. In fact, Jesus said, you are, later he says in this chapter, you're the teacher in Israel and you don't understand these things? You are the teacher? You are preeminent, prominent teacher? You don't understand this? But he knew that what was on Nicodemus's heart was, I'm a teacher in Israel and yet I don't know how to be right with God. I don't know how to make sure that my sins are forgiven. I'm troubled about this. I've done all these works, all these good things, but I don't know how to be in a right relationship with God. And that's why Jesus, knowing his heart, cuts away at everything, gets right to the heart of the matter and says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. That's really what you need. That's what's on your heart. You need to be born again. Then he explains to him what it means to be born again. Read the same thing in the story of the rich young ruler. It's found in the other gospel accounts in in Luke and Mark and Matthew. A, A rich young man, some type of ruler, comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life, to gain eternal life? 
And Jesus first tells him, well, have you kept the law? Knowing that he had not kept the law, because no one perfectly keeps the law. But this man, being self-righteous, said, yes, all these things I've kept from my youth. And then Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, having just met this man, but knowing what's going on in his heart, shows him that he has not kept the law. He said to to this rich young ruler, sell all that you have, take the proceeds, give it to the poor, and then come, follow me. Now, why would he say that? Because this man loved his wealth. This man was covetous. This man did not keep the last commandment, which says, thou shalt not covet anything. This man loved his money. And the Bible says, though sad, he walked away from Jesus. Now, Jesus said all this because he knew what was in this guy's heart. Nobody else did, but he did. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah said, the heart is more deceitful than anything else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The implication is that, folks, we can't even understand our own hearts. We all have blind spots. We all have have sins in our lives that we don't see, but we love to point out the sins of other people. Jeremiah said, who can understand our hearts? Our hearts are so desperately wicked that no one, including a human counselor, even ourselves, no one is capable of fully understanding us with all these internal sin issues that we have, attitudes and motives and intentions and desires. We are so sinful that we can even deceive ourselves. Peter is a great illustration of a self-deceived man. When faced with the prospect of Christ being arrested, Peter looked into his own heart and saw himself as bold and courageous. He thought he could stand for the Lord. In fact, he said to the Lord, though all of these other guys, all of them, they'll forsake you, Lord, not me. I'm there with you. If I have to die with you, I'm there. That's how Peter thought of himself. When he looked into his heart, that's what he saw. Courage, boldness. But when Jesus looked into Peter's heart, he saw fear and cowardice. And he said, Peter, you're you're no different than any of these. In fact, before the night is over, you're going to deny me three times. You see, Jesus knew Peter far better than Peter knew Peter. That's true of us as well. The Lord knows you far better than you know yourself. He knows all about us. Therefore, he's able to address every issue of our lives in a perfect fashion. But in addition to knowing everything about us, Christ is a wonderful counselor because he has perfect wisdom in solving all the problems that we face. As God, he has all wisdom. That's what Paul said in Colossians 2.3. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And as man, he understands all of your problems and heartaches because he's personally experienced these same kinds of problems during his earthly ministry. The only difference between Christ and us, we're tempted and we often give in to sin. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, in all points like us, but he never gave in to sin. You can never say to Jesus, as some say to their human counselors, and I've heard this many times, oh, you just don't understand what I'm going through. You don't say that to Christ, or if you do, you're wrong, because he knows exactly what it's like to grow up in a sinful world. He knows exactly what it's like to be disappointed by people. He knows exactly what it's like to be wrongfully accused of something, to be misunderstood, to experience the pain that comes with with suffering and death and everything else in life. The writer to the Hebrews says that we have a high priest who knows what's going on with us, who's sympathetic to our infirmities. He knows our weakness. 
But in addition to having all wisdom and knowledge, Jesus is a wonderful counselor because, frankly, he loves us. He loves the unlovable. He loves us, and therefore, he always speaks to us out of a heart of love. Always. He has our best interests at heart. Watch this. Because he loves us, he tells us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. He doesn't tell us everything is great when it's not. He does what Proverbs 27, 6 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It is your enemy who tells you you're great when you're not great. It is your enemy who tells you everything is fine with you when there's glaring sin in your life. And they know it. And they're just trying to make you feel good. But it is a true friend who will tell you the truth, even if it wounds you, because they have your best interests at heart. That's why Christ is our friend. He is our beloved one, because out of his love, he wounds us. He often wounds us. It's called conviction of sin. He tells us the truth about ourselves, convicting us of our, of our selfishness, our pride, our lust, our jealousy, our covetousness, our self-focus. All of that, our, our idolatry, our stubbornness, all of those things. So now that we understand what a great counselor our Lord is, question is, then how does he counsel us? How does he do this? Well, in context, and that's how we always have to understand the Bible. In context, the specific counsel that Isaiah had in mind when he said this in Isaiah 9 was the teaching ministry that Jesus will have during the thousand-year millennial kingdom. We know that because of what Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3 says. Isaiah 2, verse 3 says this. This is speaking of the kingdom age. And many peoples will come and will say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us concerning his ways And that we may walk in his paths, for the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Since Jesus will rule out of the city of Jerusalem during the kingdom age, people will come, Isaiah says, from all over the earth to learn from him. They'll come to Jerusalem to learn from him. But today, we don't need to go to Jerusalem to learn from the Lord. He counsels us from his written revelation, the Bible. The Bible is God's word to us. It's his mind in print. Listen to to Psalm 119, verse 24. I love this. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Psalm 73, verse 24. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Now, these verses and many others make it abundantly clear that Christ's wonderful counsel comes from the truths of Scripture. When we understand and apply, which is critical, not just understand, but apply, practice biblical truth, apply it to our lives, then we are following his counsel. But so many who claim to know Christ do not heed his word like they should. They think more highly of secular and psychological authorities than they do of biblical truth. That's the tragedy of the church. And the Bible warns us about the dangers of heeding the counsel of those who do not know the Lord. That's why what we studied and why we studied this a few weeks ago in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. 
I said at that time, the, un, the word ungodly means restless. They have no fixed hope. There's no fixed authority. What they believe fluctuates. It changes. Just as the discovery of something, so-called science, changes from week to week, month to month. Oh, the latest research indicates this. And next month, no, 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 we were wrong. The latest in, uh, research indicates this. You see, it all comes down to this. Who or what is your authority? Who do you take counsel from? Who do you turn to when you really need help? Is it a self-help book or is it God and his word? I'm reminded of John chapter 6. Jesus gave a tremendously challenging message to his followers about commitment to him, abiding in him. And some of them began to leave. These are people that he had just fed miraculously fed, and apparently that's all they really wanted him for was a free meal and some miracles. When they heard about commitment, they began to abandon him, and Jesus turned to the 12, his inner circle, and he said, will you two leave me? And Peter, speaking for the 12, said, Lord, where would we go? Where, where will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. That has to be our attitude. Lord, where would we go? Where else can we go to get such wonderful counsel? Nowhere. This would be a great time for each of us to decide to read through the Bible this year. I'm amazed how many Christians have never actually read through the Bible. But you can and you should. This is a a great way to systematically hear Christ's wonderful counsel on a daily basis. Listen, let me give you some, just some guidelines here. If you'll commit yourself to reading four chapters a day, I'd recommend two from the Old Testament, two from the New. You will read through the Bible, the Old Testament, once this year, and you will read through the New Testament twice in a year. Anybody can do that. can read two in the morning, two at night, or, or four altogether. But I hope that you'll commit yourself to heeding the counsel of God. I hope this year you'll submit yourself to Christ's counsel by paying more attention to his word. He is a wonderful counselor, but you have to heed his counsel to experience the the, the rich wisdom that he offers. But the one born at Christmas isn't only called wonderful counselor. Isaiah moves on and says he'll also be called mighty God. Now, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that Jesus Christ, the one born as a Jewish infant in Bethlehem, is God. It is the mystery of all mysteries. What an amazing truth. Now, Isaiah already mentioned in chapter 7, verse 14 of his book that that a virgin would conceive and give birth to a son, and he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, here, two chapters later, in chapter 9, the prophet is reiterating The same truth, that the coming king and Messiah will be more than a human. He will be God. He will be divine. That's precisely what the New Testament says about Christ. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. Hebrews 1 says he is the radiance of his glory. All things that have come into being have come into being through him. And without him, nothing that came into being has come into being. He's the creator. Years ago, I had a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses who came to my door. And as I was able to engage them in some conversation, hoping to share the gospel, they denied, as they always do, the deity of Christ. 
They might say he's the son of God, but they do not believe he's God the son. So don't be fooled by their language. They deny the deity of Jesus Christ. But I also knew that they had their pat answers. They've been indoctrinated and they, they know how to answer certain objections. So I decided to take them to a passage of scripture, a verse of scripture that I was pretty sure they had never even thought of. And, and I want to show you Hebrews chapter one, verse eight. I purposely went to this because I, I didn't think, and I was right, that they did not know how to answer this. But look at this. Could there be anything clearer about the deity of Christ in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8? Now, the writer is quoting from Psalm 45, verse 6. So this is a quote from the Old Testament. Here's what he says in verse 8. But of the Son, he says, now this is God the Father, of the Son, or to the Son, here's what God the Father says. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. That is to say that God the Father speaks to the Son, and he calls him God. Not a God, not a little God, not junior, but God. He calls him deity. Now, the deity of Christ is not something that's difficult to see in Scripture unless one has a bias towards it and committed to, to twisting Scripture. Jesus himself clearly claimed to be God. A number of times in the Gospel of John, they picked up stones to kill him. And Jesus said, why are you doing this? Is it for any work that I do, any good works? And I said, no, it's not for what you've done, but it's what you've said. You being the man claimed to be God. Listen, even his enemies knew that he was claiming to be God. He said, I and the Father are one. That's a clear claim of, of deity. He told Philip, Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. You want to know what God the Father is like? Look at me. Because I'm, I'm the exact radiance of his glory. Jesus received worship as God. Thomas called him my Lord and my God. And Jesus didn't say, now Thomas, that's getting carried away. No, I'm not really. He received it because that's exactly who he is. Lord and God. But notice, we go back to Isaiah. Isaiah didn't simply call Jesus God. He called him the mighty God. And why would he say that? See, the prophet's emphasis here is on his divine power, his strength, his might. In other words, unlike other Old Testament Jewish kings whose power was always limited, this divine Messiah king possesses absolute authority and all power without any limits. That's the point. So how does this great truth then affect our lives today? Well, in the context of Isaiah 9, it means that Jesus Christ will reign supreme in the kingdom age without any challenge to his absolute authority. But for us today, to know that Christ is the mighty God ought to have a profound impact on the way we live. Not only in submitting ourselves to him as God, that's, that's a given, but entrusting him as God. Because it means that you trust Jesus Christ as the sovereign one, sovereign over all the affairs of your life, everything. You see, to recognize Christ as the mighty God means that you recognize that he governs and controls all the events of life and that absolutely nothing occurs by accident or chance. This is 
what we studied a few months ago, Calvinism applied to our daily lives, that God is sovereign. Calvinism focuses on the one aspect of God's sovereignty in salvation. But the sovereignty of God is, is far broader than our salvation. It means he's sovereign over everything. We often use that expression, the sovereignty of God, God is sovereign. Well, what does it actually mean, though? Well, essentially, it means that he is all-powerful. He does whatever he chooses to do. God, in his sovereignty, chose to send his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be born in a manger that first Christmas day. How grateful we should be for his indescribable gift, the gift that offers forgiveness of sins and an eternal home in heaven. If you would like to listen to this study again, you can do so by going to our website, versebyverseradio.org. There you can download the program to listen to later or just stream it. If you would like to order a CD of the entire three-part message, you can call Verse by Verse at 727-239-0306. That website again is versebyverseradio.org. And the phone number to order a CD is 727-239-0306. Verse by Verse is a ministry of Lakeside Community Chapel, located at 1893 Sunset Point Road in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve Kreloff and the entire staff of Verse by Verse want to wish you a joyful and Christ-centered Christmas Day today. Your announcer is Ken Anderson. We are here to give you strength between... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.